This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Jerkins, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 257. I am your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Steph. And this is Ian. We are bringing you the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of September 2nd through September 15th. We have a total of two books to cover, as always, and we have just a little bit of news and a little bit of comments, so we do have a monkey watch this time around. Apologies for not having monkey watch on the last episode. It's completely my fault to completely lost track of it it's not something that has been ingrained into my mind when it comes to the layout of the show yet but i promise you that i will do my best to ensure it keeps happening but we do have a monkey watch for this episode so um, before we get into all of that let's jump straight into comic news so the past two weeks has been slightly slow uh not slightly it's been really slow but there was one sudden announcement uh there's there was an unexpected creator change announced for nightwing um, as you have all been aware, if you've been reading Nightwing or listening to our reviews or listening to our solicitation breakdowns or some of our other news items over the past six plus months, we'll be aware that Benjamin Percy, who was previously the writer on Green Arrow, he has been writing Nightwing since May. Um, when he took over, it was, he, he said that uh, doing a back book was one of his dreams. Uh, this was one of his dream projects, and the solicitations for both October and November had already released and listed Percy as the writer for each of each of the month's two issues that were planned to release. Um, but there is a sudden change because Percy has announced that he's actually going to be leaving Nightwing after October's Nightwing number 50, which is the first of the two issues that's releasing in October. What makes this announcement interesting is that Percy had stated that 50 will be his last, but 51 is just over a month away from releasing as September increased the release schedule to two issues per month after the series went to the single issue per month back in May of this past year when he originally took over the series. That leaves very little time for adjustments unless that is something that DC has known for a little bit about has known for for a little bit of time um, and it's just and it's just coming out now but of course that seems odd since there was it was only about three weeks ago uh, that the solicitations for November released and Percy was still attached to the series um, he did make some comments on Twitter thanking the artists that have been working on Christopher Mooneyham and Travis Moore and his editors as well um, he specifically said he's got to he's he's working on some other projects that are requiring more time. Uh, DC didn't take too long to announce what, who will be taking his place. 
Um, they quickly announced that Scott Lobdell will be taking over the previously solicited issues of number one, number 51 through 53. And Christopher Mooneyham and Travis Moore will be staying on the title. But it is unclear at this point if Lobdell is just filling in for those three issues or if he is going to be staying on Nightwing for, you know, past the solicited issues, which obviously we'll find out once December solicitations rolls around by the next episode. Um, Nightwing number 50 is meant to set up the story that's focusing on the events that spin out of Batman number 55. Um, as you're listening to this, Batman 55 is released, and I'll just put it out there because it's there's all kinds of spoilers out there already on the internet. Um, if you read Batman number 55, the cliffhanger moment of the issue is that KG Beast has returned and shoots Dick Grayson in the head. Um, and the, when I say spoilers are out there, the solicitations actually say that Dick Grayson has been shot in the head. So it's not like I'm really spoiling if you haven't read Batman 55 because DC has already done it themselves. The cover for Nightwing number 50 actually shows Dick Grayson with his head shaved and a Nightwing shaped scar on his head. I doubt it's actually a Nightwing shape, but I'm just, I'm pretty sure it's just there because it's a cover, but he has a scar on the side of his head and the current group of stuff out there, the current spoilers, rumors that are floating out around there, including some of the stuff related to the solicitations state that Dick Grayson, because of this gunshot wound to his head, he's actually going to lose his memories, which we'll talk about in a second. But before we talk about that, let's specifically talk about Percy stepping down and Lobdell filling in for at least these three issues. What do we think about that? Who's Lobdell again? (laughs) Lobdell has been currently writing Red Hood and the Outlaws right, since right. the beginning okay. of Rebirth. Since the beginning of the New 52. That's true. Well, no, no. He wasn't writing the entire time because yeah, James Yeah, he did Tyne- take a couple breaks. Yeah, James Tyne was writing Red Hood and the Outlaws for quite some time in, during the New 52 as well. Um, no, Lobdell has been attached to Red Hood. He's also been attached to Teen Titans. I think he was on Titans in the New 52 for a while. During the New 52, I'll put it this way. Anything Lobdell was on, it was kind of like, let's not let's not touch that with the 10-foot pole. Um, he's also the writer behind the horrific uh, Teen Titans number zero, which features the horrific origin of Tim Drake, okay. which is complete blasphemy. But uh, there's that. Um, so let's just say during the New 52, he was a guy that nobody liked. Um, during the Rebirth era, though, he's only really been doing Red Hood. I don't know what he's doing outside of DC or if he's doing something that's not... He's writing movies. Yeah, so he's he's got other work, but he's doing Red Hood and we've enjoyed Red Hood. And Red Hood was one of the books that I know when it was initially announced that Lobdell was going to be staying on Red Hood, Ed and I were like, really? And that was the one thing that was announced that we were super disappointed by because we couldn't believe that they were going to stay with the same writer but we were completely surprised when he when rebirth happened because red hood has actually been really good now there's it's debatable about certain aspects of the storylines but the storylines have been significantly significantly better than previous mm-hmm. storylines in the new 52 the only real complaint i've heard recently about red hood outside of the immediate stuff here's a quick plug if you're a patreon supporter and you uh, support us on patreon our first tbu extra of the month is actually red hood and the outlaws number 26 which features red hood going solo at least for the time being and him having a new costume outfit and all of that so that is available as the first episode of the month for tbu extra which is available exclusively to patreon supporters so if you are supporting us at the minimum ten dollar 
range, you will be getting that episode. So check that out. But Red Hood and the Outlaws has actually been really good. I mean, like I would say on average, the the cast and the website has been giving it thumbs up for the vast majority of the two plus years it's been out. And even if the the if the issues themselves weren't good, the characterizations have been pretty fun to read. Yes. yes. Agreed. And I think that the only real problem I've had with Red Hood in Rebirth is the pacing. I think that Lobdell tends to stretch plot lines out too long, mm-hmm. but in terms of like content and relationships and on a pure dialogue level, it's just been consistently well-crafted. Yeah. And, and that pacing thing is a big thing because that is one, one of the major complaints that I have heard about Red Hood is that the Bizarro as mm-hmm. a, you know, as a genius lasted longer than it probably should have. Uh, I know a lot of people who, including myself, who wish that that would have wrapped up a little bit sooner. But then again, we don't know what the writer, ha- I mean, like there's also the the idea that the writer clearly has a direction that they want to go. And there's a reason why, and when you get something as big of a change up as we've seen just in the past two months with 26, 25 and the annual, the big change up of Bizarro and Artemis disappearing and Jason kind of becoming an actual outlaw because he shot Penguin and Batman was pretty pissed off about that. You generally see changes like that when there's a new creative team coming on board and there was a new artist that came on board, but Scott Lobdell is still around. So either he really likes the character and DC's completely happy with him maintaining his sales numbers for the book or Lobdell has some sort of like super awesome contract, which just keeps him on a red hood book forever. So my guess is there's not really anyone they want to put on that book. That's yeah. I mean, like the thing is that it, it could just come down to, well, okay. So I was going to say it could just come down to who, who, who wants the title, but I imagine that there are some up and coming writers out there who have given the chance they would jump at having a bat book regardless of what the character is. Sure. Um, I mean, Tony Patrick clearly likes him because he put him in his little story for the DC creator showcase, but people are going to get mad at me for this, but I really don't think Tony Patrick's ready for an ongoing because his stuff in Batman and the signal was really under polished. It was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it, it should have been great. Like if you look at the stuff that's in there, and part of this might have been, you know, editorial. I mean, it feels like he needed at least one more issue. But he knew he had a certain number of issues going in. And if he felt like he had too much stuff, and he should have taken some stuff out. And so I, I really think he's not ready for a series that's ongoing, that's not doing... I, I'd put him on a miniseries, another miniseries, before I put him on an ongoing. Like, if you look at him versus Brian Hill, and I know Brian Hill's much more of a like an established writer. He's been doing TV for a long time, but Brian Hill took a five issue arc and there was a little too much going on in that, that arc. But I think he really made it work in a way that kept me engaged the way Batman and signal did not. I just think that even if he'd like to do it, I don't think DC would be justified in doing that yet. I think the biggest problem with Batman and signal is I actually, I enjoyed the first issue. It was just the last, you know, the, the other two issues First issue set everything up, I think, in a really well-mannered way. The next two issues, like the second issue, didn't feel like they were getting anywhere, like nothing was happening. And then you're like, well, there's only one issue left. Where are we going with this? And then by the time the third issue came out, they wrapped it up. 
but it didn't feel like then it was even a necessary story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and especially oh, sorry, go ahead, Steph. And I was going to say, I, and I had trouble even understanding what his power set was. Like, wait, I think, do we know? <laughs> I think we don't know. We don't. Okay, good. I'm no, so he, it's well, it's it's funny you bring that up because there was actually um, in the last two weeks there was an issue of the unexpected which is one of the DC new age of heroes books written by Steve Orlando. And that book actually had Huntress as like a guest star and then randomly signal showed up too. I think it was, yeah, it wasn't unexpected, but uh, yeah. So signal shows up and he says something about like, he can help the unexpected and they're like help with what? And then he, he actually explains verbatim, what his power set is. Real quick question before I get into that. It was recently announced that one of Percy's projects called Comet Cycle. Not, that's not a DC related series, but it is one of his either book series or something that's creator owned one way or the other was picked up and it's going to be a television show uh, produced by the Russo's, the Russo brothers. So, and that could be why he's going off of Nightwing too, because literally that announcement just happened the weekend just before the weekend and then right after the weekend that's when he said it was and there was a bunch of rumors floating around online the day before and the day of that he was going to be off the title but he himself hadn't said anything and it almost felt like the announcement came out of the blue because the rumors were out there and they wanted to make sure they weren't going to fan the fire so um, I don't what did, what, what, didn't mention his new project when he was talking about leaving so I, I don't think they're connected. Well, he did say, no, he said, thanks for the wall wishes on the comet cycle. I'm going to hunker down and concentrate on finishing it. And I'm afraid Nightwing 50 will be my last issue. Right. But that's not saying, and because of that. That's true. That is true. So I, I think he would have said, this doesn't allow time for Nightwing or something like that. He didn't say that. So I think that, oh man, I really don't know what's going on. This is so weird with the Nightwing and Batman and Red Hood situation because Tom King has said repeatedly that he doesn't like telling other writers what to do. Well, we've seen the the poster. Tom King shooting Nightwing in the head, giving him amnesia, um, affecting another writer doesn't sound like something he would normally do. I've had a couple of people on the Discord say this sounds like an editorial mandate. And mm-hmm. given what we saw in DC Nation number four, where they said that this is all building up to like a big tragic event and... Uh, Batman number 75 in 10 months. kind of feel this is Jamie Rich and Dan DiDio and whoever involved in the higher-ups saying, you got to make it sad. You got to make it tragic. You got to break the family up. It, it sounds a lot like what they did with friggin' Death of the Family again. Although that was kind of... It's not from, I've been listening to y'all podcasts, all the podcasts, and it sounds like that was kind of hijacked by the death of Damien. So it's like, everyone <laughs> hates Batman, but we're all sad together. That was because Grant Morrison started late. So maybe Night will get amnesia and then something wonderful will happen or something terrible will happen. No, it's no nothing, nothing good nothing is going to happen in 10 <laughs> months. one flaw is going to come out of this. I, I'll say this. You know, the thing is, the solicitations were hinting that something big was going to happen anyway. And Percy was still attached. But I don't feel like him leaving the book has anything to do with a mandate or Tom King putting him in this position. I'm actually, as I'm thinking about this, I'm just wrapping my head around the mm-hmm. idea of everything that's been going on in Batman with Bane and Bane messing with Batman specifically and the wedding and all of that. But then I'm just, I, I there was a, 
in the past two weeks, there was a new character spotlight that we that Colin did over on the website that was featured KG Beast because we knew KG Beast was coming back into the comics because the solicitation said so. We tried to time it with the return, and his uh, I forgot about the fact that KG Beast and Bane had worked together in the past. And I'm, and all I keep, all I keep thinking about is clearly Bane hired KG Beast to do this thing to to Nightwing. That's all I keep thinking about. But anyway, I don't think anything good's coming of it, and I'll leave it at that. So specifically, the the power set I pulled it up. It was the unexpected number four. Huntress is there. Signal shows up and says, "I'm here. I'm here to help." One of the guys, I don't know who he is. I'll be honest. I'm not reading the unexpected. I just I, I read through the stuff to make sh- to see if there's any TBU characters. And one of the guys says, you, you said you could help. What can you do? And he says, photokinetic vision. Objects hold and reflect light. Light tells a story. There's an incredible shine coming off of it outside the visual spectrum. It's, it's too bright. How do you not see it? How do you not see? And then he says, he sees this like vision of something happening between that character and other characters um, that they're referring to. So like being able, just touching something, he's able to basically see its past, I guess, um, based off of the projections of light. So that's his power set. If anybody out there didn't know, but I, I will say this, I read when I was reading the issue and I read that sequence and I was like, huh, that might have been a better explanation than we've ever gotten any of the other titles that he's been in, and which is really sad. So that was definitely not in Batman and the Signal. It was yeah. definitely Batman and the Signal was very confusing on what he could do with his powers. Yeah. Well, it didn't help that uh, Scott Snyder, who you know basically built Duke Thomas from the ground up, didn't do a good job of explaining either. And then when people asked, he said, "Oh, it's going to be revealed in Batman and the Signal," and didn't take the time to, I don't know figure out a way to like have a better explanation or whatever. But anyway, so the other thing I want to talk about real quick is this is the Nightwing thing. So Nightwing's going to get shot in the head. It's not going to be, it's not going to be good. But the thing that's kind of bothering me about the upcoming solicitations is that, so you get shot in the head in number 55, number 50 is going to kind of like be the immediate aftermath of that. But what concerns me is that, the solicitations say that he's still in Bloodhaven, he's still Nightwing, but he forgets his training. If he has amnesia, why would he still be Nightwing? Selective amnesia? That's a great explanation, <laughs> but a really piss poor story point. I hate amnesia plots. I've hated them before the Bourne movies came out, and I, made, I hated them after the Bourne movies came out. I think they are lazy writing, and... And this is nothing against Scott Lobdell. There's a ton of like Twitter people who are very angry that Scott Lobdell is going to do it because of what he did in the New 52 with Red Hood and the Outlaws and Teen Titans. But I think that Scott Lobdell is going to do his best with a very terrible editorial dictate. And I just think, yeah. I mean, I was collecting Nightwing. I, I jumped on when Percy jumped on because I thought this was a really cool art. I thought it was a really cool concept. And I really, really loved Dick and Babs as friends and maybe going towards something romantic, but I was just there because they were being a bat family. It felt like Batgirl was part of the Batman family. Again, it was very reminiscent of birds of prey because she was running tech and being very investigative whereas Dick was being very active. So it just was a great dynamic and amnesia is just 
going to destroy, literally destroy everything I enjoyed about what I was reading. So I, I have dropped Nightwing. There's no way they're going to get me back at this point. Temporary selective amnesia? Yeah. Um, you know, oh, Steph, you're such an optimist. Optimist, yeah. Uh, you just have not been around comics as long as we have. Um, no, we want her to stay this way. We need someone true. to balance her I heard dark. It. Great cool. I forget who said it, but it was uh, a pessimist is a un, is a well informed optimist. <laughs> that's that's a good one. Um, yeah. So the the thing is, I well here, here's another little rumor that's floating around out there that. Uh, Dick is not going to be called Dick Grayson anymore. So the, the new solicitations are reading. The, they just keep saying Grayson. They say Nightwing is Rick. no longer here, but Rick. Grayson. Yes. Yeah. So the thing is that uh, the rumor out there is that he is actually going to be going by Rick or Rich oh, gosh. or not anything but Dick. And I'm just sitting here thinking like, okay, what is the temporary possibility of this? Not to mention, let's just, I don't want to, you know, point any fingers at crazy amnesia stories because it's not like we didn't just have one a couple of years ago but oh man we were just arguing about this i like super heavy there's no i'm not complaining about super heavy it's, it's actually a decent story but the thing is there's already a machine that exists that we know can get memories back so why wouldn't we just use that on dick and save us the trouble of having him not have his memories like this is the problem when you have these little plot points that there's always contradictions with certain aspects. Like you want to do something status quo changing. You want to make it different, make it something that you've never seen before. But when you do that and it's just, you've never seen anything before like that for that character, but you've seen it for another character who is in the same group of characters who experienced the exact same situation and then came back from it. I don't understand why they do this. Like, I just don't get it. Like it'd be one thing if, they like it's legitimately well i'll tell you this if they don't somehow explain that they can't why they can't use the same machine they used on bruce wayne then they're doing a bad job i'm i'm completely okay with seeing how this plays out i'll I'll admit that it's interesting because it is something different the concern i have is is it going to be done in a way where it makes sense and where is where are we coming out of this from you know like if 50 kicks this story off 51, 52, 53, we assume it's going to be 54 and 55 as well to make it a six-issue thing so it can be easily collected in trade. If that's the case, where do we come out from this? Like, is he just not going to ever be Nightwing again? Is he going to adopt a new persona? You know, like, where do we come out from something like this? Because there always is a way out in most cases. Like I'd say like 98% of the time, weird situations that they put the characters in, there's a way out and it's always around six to 12 issues. Well, I mean, let's go back and, and look at the last time we had the DC editorial fumbling with Dick status quo, which was Grayson, which turned into a really excellent series. I don't want to knock Grayson at all. By but accident though, truly by accident. It was not DC editorials. Uh, to its credit, it was completely Tim Seeley and Tom King that turned yeah. it into an excellent series. Yeah, and actually Tom King had said on Twitter just recently that the series was never meant to last more than six issues. <laughs> but oh, they wow. turned it into a really excellent longer run. But here's the thing. We knew like four four to six months before Grayson ended how they were going to fix the problem because they showed the satellite with the mind-changing technology. 
I can see at least one thing. I mean, you've already mentioned Bruce's Genesis engine with the cloning problem, whatever that they used in Super Heavy. But uh, the current bad guy in Nightwing has the sort of digital mind invasion powers, and he has already invaded Dick's body and mind. I think you could theorize that he made a copy, and they're going to use that copy to like overprint his amnesia self at the end of this arc. I could see that. Yeah, like it just. It would oh, also this is make, why I hate also make, plots. It would also make sense as to why this whole digital stuff has been played out as long as it has, because that's the escape route. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, that was the news we've got. There, there's no other news, and if you're looking for other news, just keep looking because it's not out there. But yeah, that that was the news. DC All Access is done. If you haven't. If you haven't been around, DC Daily launched on Batman Day, and there was nothing that was really re- comic related. It was really just, hey, it's Batman Day. Here's some awesome stuff you can do because it's Batman Day. Um, now, that's not to say it won't grow into something more. If there is news that comes out of some of those DC dailies, we will be sure to be posting up on the site and we'll be watching to make sure that any news that does pop up. But I'm going to be honest here, there wasn't a ton of news that was coming out of the DC All Access stuff, at least stuff that, you know, the the hardcore fans wouldn't already know, you know, showing off, or tell, you know, having Dan DiDio or Jim Lee talk about comics that are releasing that week. It's sometimes interesting, especially when they're talking about stuff that you don't typically read or you don't normally read and you can hear why they're excited about it and stuff. But that's not news. I'm cautiously hesitant about DC daily just because they it's basically an extended longer version of DC all access, but it's every single day. And I, I honestly am having a trouble wrapping my head around the the amount of content that they are Mm going to be trying to produce on a normal, uh, you know, five days a week. And it just doesn't become a fluff piece because let's be honest, we do a podcast every two weeks and we're able to churn out, stuff but we do reviews and answer questions and make up our own segments and that's two hours and if they're doing 15 minutes every five days that's a lot of content mm-hmm. just put it just saying so there were a lot of people on that show too i was like oh yeah God, they so did much. not use half of the people on that couch <laughs> yes and the that's not going to be the case on every episode i think the the whole idea of having that many people is that they're going to be swapping out people so that they don't ever have to worry about, oh, well, this person's schedule conflicts because mm-hmm. they're also a contributor over at this. Mm-hmm. Because Tiffany Smith is on a bunch of different projects. She doesn't just do the DC stuff. And there's other people that are on that panel that are on other panels on other websites as well. So, Or they're like have actual jobs like Sam Humphreys and John Barrowman. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> so the idea is, I think, to be able to, you know, have at least two hosts per episode. And that's why there is such a huge chunk of people there is because not everybody's going to be available all the time. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see once the normal episodes come out, that's not, Hey, this is the first episode and this is Batman day. We're obviously recording this 
on Sunday the 16th, which is the day after that release, but we don't have any other episodes to base our thoughts off of. So by the time you're listening to this, five more episodes hypothetically should have released, and then there will be more knowledge. And if you want to understand or hear our thoughts on that, I encourage you to go to the Discord because the Discord is where there's tons of fans talking about all this stuff and a whole heck of a lot more. Yeah. So check out the discord. There is a link now up on the site, right in the sidebar. So you can click on that and it'll bring you to the discord and you can join in on the discussions. So with all of that being said, we're going to jump straight into our comic reviews. And the first one we've got is Batman. Batman number 54, Tom King art by Matt Wagner. It opens with a shot of the Flying Grayson's poster as someone yells, oh God. The panels zoom in on the picture of Dick's face as the dialogue chaotically recreates the moments after his parents were murdered, ending with a plea, someone help that boy. Dick's smiling face on the poster is replaced by Nightwing's smiling visage as he and Batman in the present day confront Crazy Quilt. Nightwing and Batman exchange quips as the hatless villain before taking him out. As a child, Dick is plagued by nightmares of his parents' murder, and Bruce comforts him with a hug. In the present, Dick tries to comfort Bruce with a hug, but Bruce attempts to put him off, saying he doesn't need him. Alfred enters with Dick's favorite food, cucumber sandwiches, but Bruce says he'll be working on the freeze case in the cave. In the past, Dick rejects Alfred's sandwiches, saying that they and Wayne Manor are gross, and he runs off weeping. Batman tries to get Nightwing to take their battle against Condiment King seriously, since the pathetic villain killed three grocery stores worker in a week. After a face full of ketchup, Dick appears to take things more seriously. Child Dick lies on the floor, having fallen from the chandelier trying to fly. Bruce attempts to act as a father, bond over their lost families, but Dick rejects him, insisting that he's not a toy for a rich guy. Dick persuades Bruce to sit and watch a Gotham Knights football game on TV with him, reminding him of a moment of breakthrough between them when Dick was a child, as a stubborn, grieving boy finally heard Bruce's commitment to him as a son. Dick tries to get Bruce to make a bet for a penny with him that he can't bounce his Eskrima sticks uh, stick 37 times in the back tag. When he succeeds in his trick, he says, I'll take the big one, referring to the giant penny that had been a mainstay of the cage for decades. Batman laughs for a moment, then breaks, but struggles to insist he's fine. Dick says that he knows he's fine, but if he doesn't want to be fine, Dick is there for him. Dick, as a child, explains his mother and father's joke of betting a penny since they are little, though Bruce tells him not all pennies are little, as he tries to beat Bruce's one-handed handstand. Bruce tries to convince him to eat the cucumber sandwiches, and in the present, Nightwing reminds him of the moment. Batman remembers and shares that his own father shared his favorite cucumber sandwiches with him, saying... Don't give up on them. Keep trying again and again, because I swear they're worth it. All right. So, Batman, Ian, if you want to lead the discussion, you are more than welcome to. Sure. There's a couple things I noticed. I liked the connection to the last issues sort of ending on a theological meditation on whether God exists and what we do about that as people in pain by just having it open with the one phrase, oh, God. Uh, Tom King's a very subtle writer, so I think that he did that on purpose. I have a couple questions. The first one is, what did you think of the art by Matt Wagner, especially in light of the controversy of the coloring? Well, do we talk about the controversy and actually explain it? I don't remember if we did. I don't know anything about it. Okay, well, then let's, let's uh, Ian, go ahead and explain what happened. So Matt Wagner is one of those 
very legendary Batman artist. And his son, Brendan, is a colorist. And they often work together. So when they initially hired Matt to do this issue's pencils, and I think inks, I think he did both pencils and inks, they also hired Brennan to do the colors. After Brennan had finished the colors for this issue, DC said, nope, we're going to have Sandu Flory, Tony Daniels' colorist, do it because we don't like it for some reason. Matt Wagner posted that on Facebook, and it got picked up by a couple gossip blogs. And DC apparently said, okay, Brennan, you can recolor it. But Brennan's like, I already did the coloring. I don't want to redo it. So this was colored by someone else. Matt Wagner is very angry about this. And It wasn't, wasn't Sandu Flore. It was uh, Tomeo More. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sandu Flore is the inker. Yeah. Tomeo More is the colorist. Yeah. And, he does, and he, he does normally work with Tony Daniel, but he has worked on, he works on other projects as well. Yeah. He did a couple of issues of Detective. Yeah, typically he is working with Tony Daniel. They're, it's kind of like how Jim Lee is constantly connected to Scott Williams. Yes, yeah, Scott Williams. That's it. Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But anyway, yes. So, so basically, the controversy was to just sum it up that they had the issue colored by somebody that Matt Wagner wanted to be coloring the book for him. And DC decided after the fact to go and get somebody else to do it. So there's a there's there's a concern there because why would you hire a a a, a well a well known artist like Matt Wagner and then be like you know what we're gonna let you do the art and we're going to assign somebody else to do the coloring for something that you are drawing specifically with the thing. Now to put this in perspective, Matt Wagner has, when he, uh, you know, revealed that this happened, he did say that uh, he does work with other colorists, but typically on projects where he gets to choose his colorist, he chooses his son because they have a connection. And obviously artists want a connection with their partners, whether it be an inker or colorist, um, and that's what happens. He also pointed out that like this story was special and important to him because it was kind of like a father son type story. Mm-hmm. And he thought it was important to have his son do the coloring for the issue that he was drawing. So there's all of that. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot to unpack there, but the big thing is, was the art up to par? And I will say when I read the issue, I not a fan of the art. Matt Wagner has done some, some amazing things over the years. He's been linked to a lot of different series related to Batman. He's done Batman stuff in the past. His stuff is really good. Um, This felt rushed to me and it's not because the pencils were off or anything like that. Although there was a couple panels I had some issues with, but I don't know if that was specifically because of the way the art was done or because the, the coloring was done potentially on, you know, potentially rushed Um, because let's be honest, the, the information that was released about DC changing colorists, it was like three weeks before the issue was releasing. So it's not like there was a ton of time and I don't think he would have waited until that late in the game. If it wasn't something that, you know, was happening unless he just learned about it, but it seems like it was rushed looking at the art. It looks rushed. It does not look like his typical, art and that's the thing like 
I understand to a degree if DC wasn't happy with the coloring for whatever reason, it's DC's right to, you know, choose the, the you know, to make those decisions ultimately because they're the ones publishing the comic. But what we ended up getting, I feel like it, like, here's the thing. The story was great. I really enjoyed the story. I thought that the story was, was well-written. This felt like one of Tom King's like really emotional stories that he typically writes like one or two times a year. And the art just detracted me from the story because Mm -hmm. it just did not, seem like it was up to the par that it should have been based off of what we were reading. I'm really surprised that that scandal, like it, that Matt Wagner drew attention to the art. <laughs> I was like, why you're fighting over the art. It, it wasn't good. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like maybe the coloring could have saved it. Maybe it sounds good, but I mean, Dick, does this, does Matt draw a lot of children? Cause Dick looks like a 16 year old. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my main complaints when I first saw it. Was that wow, that head seems weird. But <laughs> I, I felt the, the same. Is, like I, this, this was a gorgeous story. Like this had, like this really reminded me of um, Dark Victory. So it's actually appropriate that the the variant is done by you know Tim Sale. But gosh, the art is just so bad. <laughs> Completely agree. Like I think I'll be. I'll be totally upfront. I don't like Tomb Memoria as a colorist. When he worked on Detective, I could tell it wasn't the normal colorist, Brad Anderson, who is one of my favorites. Tomb Memoria did say one of the best in the industry, too. So. Brad Anderson, Elizabeth Wright-Weiser, Jordi Belair. Those are the ones yep. I always am excited yep. about. Tomb Memoria, it's not that he's bad. I don't, I don't want to say he's bad. But I just don't like the tones he chooses for skin. I don't like the way he does shading. And I just don't think the stuff he does is nearly as interesting or thoughtful. Not that he's not interesting, but it's not as interesting or thoughtful. However, I don't think that coloring was the problem here. If they if they changed anchors on Matt Wagner, I could understand. Because honestly, my biggest problem, as Steph says, it's, it's face shapes and choices. Like the Dick's mask, for example. The way he drew Dick's mask had just these little spidery bat wings instead of like a, a thicker, more bold bat wing and i just don't think it works at all like there's just so many lines and and curves and angles that i think uh, a different inker could have fixed i i really don't think that the coloring is something that would have saved this uh, even if they had gotten you know brightweiser or or uh, anderson to do it or even like guy major or dave uh dave stewart like yeah any of those guys even they i don't i don't think unless they'd gotten a different inker they could have you know, made this, I think, be a, a more appealing comic. I think this just felt rushed because it's a, it's a two, it's a twice a month schedule. And I think that maybe. But see, Wagner, I don't think that's a really good excuse because Matt Wagner only did one issue. And that's the thing. Like, yeah. Like, and he, yeah. and we knew that he was doing this issue at least three months back. So like, if he was doing one issue, I'm not saying he spent three months doing it because uh, there's no way he spent three months doing this, but like, we knew about this for a while. So, you know, the, the controversy with the, the colorist, honestly, the way it all turned out, it almost makes me feel like the reason he raised the concern about the colorist was because he realized that the art was not <laughs> up to his normal par. He was trying to give it, a, give himself an out. I don't know. And, and I'm not oh. trying to speak ill of the guy, but like, it just doesn't, like you said, the coloring is not the only issue with this. There's a couple different things. The size of 
Dick's head when he's a, a small, ch- you know, small child compared to when he's an adult. And certain panels, I'm like looking at him, like, why is his head so big? Like he's supposed to be a child, not a freaking man child. I, I don't. There's a panel where he looks just like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. Like he's like he's my precious. But it's like what here? What is yeah. he nine? And I feel bad, Ugh. honestly, for Tom King because. I don't think that he thought this was going to be what he, you know, intended. Mm-hmm. I really do feel really bad because this was like, if you just read the script and didn't see the art, it's actually a decent story. Like mm-hmm. I think it works out well. And obviously it sets up what, whatever is going to happen in Batman 55 with uh, Batman and Nightwing and the situation with Nightwing. But ew, man, I, I I'm like generally like I, I feel I like I feel sorry for mm-hmm. Tom King because like this could have potentially been like one of his really good issues that like the annual or yeah, the annual mm-hmm. or the the, the issues yeah so I mean like I don't know like it's just one of those things where it's like this could have easily been one of his like issues of the year that gets mm-hmm. submitted for an Eisner mm-hmm. that people would be like, well, he got after here and say, it's not going to go for an Eisner this yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and it's a shit. Well, I mean like, let's be honest. They don't submit specific issues. They submit a series or like their group of work. And that's what he's, he either wins or not wins is because of his group of work. But there are clearly certain issues that he produces per year that are definitely geared. Like they are, you know, award material. If you don't understand what I mean, mm-hmm. so like they're just like te- television shows. There are certain television shows where like this show is exactly this, yeah, like this episode is exactly what they're the Academy is looking for. So that's what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. We're looking to get those nominations for comics. However, it doesn't. The Eisners don't work like that. They don't work like you submit certain stories that you did, and that's that's what you're judged on. You're judged off of all of your work, but then they can obviously pick and choose, you know, to, like, cause let's be honest, if you're looking at all of Tom King's work for the year and the last year, let's just use last year, the annual number two, as well as Batman Elmer Fudd were probably the best two issues that he did all year. Some of the other stuff, like with war of jokes and riddles and all of that, it's almost like, yeah, but the, the Eisners don't work like that. They just work here. Here's your entire group of work what in this group of work was really good. And then that's what we're going to base this off of. So this issue is uh, unfortunately probably not going to be one of those just because people are going to have a hard time looking at it. Mm-hmm. So Ian, you got any more? Yeah. One other question. So other than the clear setup for, you know, the next the Nightwing getting uh, amnesia, a head injury of some sort, do you think that this issue has a further significance like I, I guess Dustin's already sort of answered this question with the idea that Tom King writes these issues sort of standalone to really have an impact but mm-hmm. do you think that there's any way that this will impact Batman issue 75 or Batman issue 100 I can't say that this issue specifically I feel like it is like I said setting up like their relationship uh, you know cementing the fact that they have this father-son relationship you know, showing the mirrored relationship between Bruce and and his father and then Bruce and Dick, that mirrored relationship is clearly what they're trying to get across to build up to what is happening in the next issue, which is a dramatic moment 
And knowing that it's KGB's just pulling the trigger and that KGB's is probably was probably hired by Bain, it's just further putting Bruce at a bad spot. So does this issue specifically will it specifically have an effect on 75 or 100 or just later in the future? No, I don't think it will. I think it's meant to be a lead-in to a more dramatic moment in 55, which will definitely have an impact on 75 and 100 because it's all playing into Bane's ultimate plan. Yeah, I mean, because with the new – well, it's a new rebirth, right? It's been two years. With the rebirth, this new status quo, you kind of have those questions in the back of your mind. Well, what is their relationship? And so this kind of is confirming, yes, they are like father-son. They are – you know, they have a close friendship and then I actually was just reading about a storytelling device where your your dramatic event doesn't have to be that awful, even though amnesia is awful, but in a different way, if you compare it to a happier time. So this is, you know, the juxtaposition of these were happier times of them getting closer, and now that's all gone. So it's, it's yeah, it's like, you know, like Dustin was saying, it's setting up the next issue and and establishing a status quo for their relationship, but it might not really affect the future because it's or just, all it is is explaining the past and the present it's not moving the story forward per se i think i think you guys are probably right but here's something i'd like to propose and just sort of put here now crazy in, is the bad guy well i mean that's exactly <laughs> what i'm going to say in in the first arc of batman that tom king wrote you had a cameo appearance by kite man mm-hmm. two arcs or, or an arc later you had another appearance by Kite Man in The Rooftops. Mm-hmm. And then another arc later in War of Drugs and Riddles, you saw the backstory of Kite Man, and he was like incredibly important to the, the message of that story. Mm-hmm. I think there's a chance that Condiment King or Crazy Quilt, I think there's a chance that one of those two will connect in a Kite Man way. Even Maybe even Kite Man himself will team up with them. I mean, we've got 45 issues to go. So I, I'm just going to put it right here, sort of like a, on TV tropes, they call this wild mass guessing. So I'm going to put my wild mass guess that one of these villains is going to be important somehow later. You know what? And looking at it from that perspective, perspective, I should say, is, is definitely a possibility. And the reason I say that is because of this. There's, there was something, there was a question that somebody posed to Tom King about the Mr. Freeze case in 51, 52, and 53, where they said, why didn't we find out who was the one who actually framed Mr. Freeze? And he responded with, oh, you will. You just will later on. It's a threat. We, you know, it's just a setup for a thread later on. And Tom well, King mentions Freeze in this issue. Yeah. And the yeah. thing is, I, I'm convinced that, yeah, because in this one, he says he's investigating it. It's just, it's a slow burn, you know, with the investigation and figuring out who's behind it. But I feel like Tom King is one of those people where, like, Scott Snyder does the same thing. You know, if they plant something there, it's there for a reason. Mm -hmm. There's there's a reason for, well, I think Tom King does it more than Scott Snyder in most cases. But, like, when you look at some of the stuff that Tom King has done, there's there's almost a reason for every character he chooses to appear. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say that I think Tom King is better at it than Scott Snyder. I think Snyder does it as much. I am never satisfied with the payoff to Snyder's 
things. That's true. Yeah, that's that's probably more true than you know that Tom King does it more. But Tom King does present these characters, and I feel like Crazy Quilt and Conman King could easily be in a story later on. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily be related to Bane or. You know, in the case of Kite Man, with Kite Man being in the Wars of Jokes and Riddles, but it's definitely a character that I could see him bringing back and using. I did find it interesting that Condiment King, like, legitimately murdered people because I don't think people ever actually think of Condiment King as that type of character because he's such a, like, crazy, ver- you know, it's just a crazy character in general that originated in a time where lots of weird characters like Zebra Man or Polka Dot Man or crazy quilt all those characters like existed and were created because they were all created around the same time it's like one of those things where it's like really but you don't really just a sec didn't he kill people in the animated series because there was like some people who were allergic to mustard and they died or something where they got really sick i don't remember he has killed i'm not saying he hasn't killed people he (laughs) has killed people it's just when i think of condiment king I think of him like Kite Man, where he's kind of like a joke, not mm. a legitimate threat. Mm-hmm. Like he's not walking around killing people. He's, you know, like Kite Man, where he's using kites to like do capers. Because why? Why would he need to do that? But he is because it's just a weird character who's meant to be like a joke. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying mm-hmm. he, he hasn't killed people. It's more of a like a I don't view him like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, well, I I wanted to go grab my copy of Robin Violent Tendencies, which plug um, Chuck Dixon in two thousand eight brought back Stephanie Brown in this arc. But early on in the arc, he has Condiment King holding up a bank. It looks like, and Tim says that he sends people into anaphylactic shock. You know, so he he maybe deliberately picks peanut oil and sprays it around. So I think he is a bad person. Like Kite Man, we like to talk about how he's a joke and you know, he he's funny, but he he hangs out with the Joker. That is not a good person. That is not a person who is mm-hmm. who is sympathetic to to the people that his actions hurt. I think Condiment King is probably similar. I think that they have a level of lack of empathy. That yes, they may be pathetic, they may be funny, but they are not good people. But I don't I think, think they Tom were. Knows I, but see, I don't think that's the. In, I don't think that was the original intent for those characters. That's the thing. Well, I maybe those, we're talking modern, I, right? right modern, modern era. Yes, modern era makes sense. And just a quick plug: Robin Violent Tendencies was one of the episodes that Bat Books for Beginners covered. So if you are more interested in hearing about that, check out episode one eighty nine of Bat Books for Beginners. Absolutely, um, it's a great. Chris and Jerry do a wonderful job. Yes. So definitely check that out. Um, But yeah, I mean, like ultimately to answer your question, definitely there's a reason why they're there. He does not have, he does not have these villains appear for no reason. It also makes me think that in 55, there's a character that's called the Phantom Pharaoh, which is (laughs) basically a ripoff of King Tut because for whatever reason, they couldn't use the rights for King Tut. And we talked about this before because mm-hmm. he's talked about this at San Diego, that he wanted to use King Tut and the rights weren't available to use King Tut. And I don't understand how that even works because it's a DC character. How does DC not have the ability or not have the rights to use the character? I don't understand unless it has something to do with because it was created for the show, the royalties would have been dealt out to somebody from the show. And maybe that's why. 
I don't I don't understand, but he created a character called Phantom Pharaoh that will appear in 55. If you've read 55, because this is, this episode's out after that, you'll know what I'm talking about, but that character was created and Phantom Pharaoh could very well be somebody who pops up again too, because like, why would you need that character? And Tom King has said that he also wanted to use 10 eyed man, but he hasn't got around to using him yet. So like, He's using slightly obscure, not obscure because these are characters that people would know, but they are characters that are not the typical ones that you would expect most people to use, which I appreciate. I will say that. Agreed. I, I just wanted to put my wild theory just in case. So, you know, if we come to issue 100 and I'm totally right and like Bane is teamed up with Crazy Quilt or something, oh, I can say, remember back two years ago, I called it. That wouldn't make quite as the intimidating image as the one from Batman 50 did, where he was actually <laughs> scaring people. <laughs> was Batman in that lineup, though? I can't remember. Yes? I don't think he was. I mean, like, every other character, every other character, and some of them that don't make any sense to be there were there, too, but... I don't know. I think they make sense. It's just we don't know how. Yet. That, yeah, yeah, there's that. Mm-hmm. All right, so Batman, I'm going to give this issue a total of two and a half. I, I hate to say it, but I'm a reader more than a looker of pictures. So usually the art, I, I need to actually go back to notice the art. This one, the art did distract me quite a lot. So, but I love the story so much. I, I'm ugh, three, three out of five. So on my review, I said three and a half out of five, but I actually, oh man, that seems high. No, you gave it three, not three and a half. I did? Okay, I'm happy with a three. I just think three and a half is too high. All right, so, and then Ian reviewed it on the site, but obviously, like I said before, we're not giving him double ratings. (laughs) Oh, Um, man. I need my power. That is going to give Batman number 54 a total of three out of five Batarangs. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics, number 988, written by James Robinson, art by Stephen Segovia. Uh, This issue starts off looking down on a dead man. Both Jim Gordon and Batman assess the crime scene. Jim is surprised Batman is at this simple murder. Batman responds that due to things going on in his life, he could use a normal case to relax. He is the world's greatest detective, and he needs to get back to his roots. With his curiosity satisfied, Jim shares that the victim's name is Harold Frank. Leaving the scene to visit Frank's apartment, he states to himself that although the body is staged to look like a mugging, there are in fact two different entry wounds. He was shot by two different guns. Batman radios Alfred, who sarcastically asks if they are back on speaking terms. Since Bruce's wedding imploded, he has isolated himself from the rest of the family. Alfred responds that he is proud of Bruce for not letting the wedding break him. Bruce thanks Alfred for his encouragement, but acknowledges that now is not the right time that they have a murder to solve. Alfred shares that Harold Frank was an unassuming kitchenware salesman. After sharing more background on Frank, Alfred mentions that the coroner's report was just filed and Frank was shot by two guns. Batman responds he already knew that information and is at his residence now. After searching the entire house, he mentions that he found a secret room. Before he could really investigate Frank's secret area, Firefly surprises Batman. 
Batman tells Alfred that he is actually fighting Lady Firefly, a protege of Ted Carson, the Firefly. He shares that the building Frank lived in was on fire, and he says that since the building is burning faster than expected, Lady, Lady Firefly is just there to distract Batman so Firefly himself can torch the evidence. Bruce quickly and easily defeats Lady Firefly and Firefly. On a rooftop far, far away, two agents of Cobra discuss Frank's death. Because of the information that Frank sent them, they can finally revive Cobra. All right, so this issue, uh, you got two things that I want to talk about. One, the simplicity of the story, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. I, I guess going from Tynion's work to the cult single-issue story, to Brian Hill's work. What did, how did you feel about go, coming into this story? Because I didn't really feel like this was like, there are definitely hints at, to the current events that's happening within the Batman universe. There's, you know, there's mentions of the wedding. There's mentions of Alfred. Bruce not talking to Alfred. You know, there's a lot of, this is current events, everybody. Hey, everybody, do you hear me? This is current events. We are making sure you know this. This is current. This isn't just a inventory story. They do a, a Robinson does a point where he makes sure that you, as the reader, know that this is happening within the same universe of you know within the same universe of Tom King's Batman, which is which to his credit that has not really been something that's been super addressed by a lot of the other creators. So I'll give them props for that, but it does feel like a ridiculously simple story compared to what we've seen in the past six months, you know, from Tynion's run to the single cult issue to Brian Hill's run. How did you guys feel this story kicks off a new story arc? I think it has the potential. I mean, you're right. I mean, it starts off simple, but I think it's just kind of laying the groundwork. And, you know, at first when they first talked about, you know, I need to distract myself. I thought, this being detective that he was talking more about not having his crew anymore. And I realized, Oh no, he's talking about Catwoman. It's like, Oh, okay. But um, I don't know. I think it's a nice break. <laughs> Your brain can only do so many heavy stories or so many intense stories at a time. I don't think it's bad to have a simpler story. I unfortunately come into this issue really, really biased. I read off and on Robinson's arc on Wonder Woman. And I thought it was terrible. Wonder Woman sometimes only showed up for a couple of pages in her own book. Oh, gosh. So I, I am biased against James Robinson as a writer. I'm also biased because James Tynan's run on, on Detective was... It was exactly what I would have wanted without being pandering. Like, it's everything I wanted out of Batman, but it was fresh and interesting and exciting. And it was so good that anything would have been a letdown. But then you have Brian Hill, who did just a great last arc. I don't think mm-hmm. it was quite as polished as Tynan's stuff, but it was it was a really good follow-up. Mm-hmm. And then this, it's not the Bat Family, mm-hmm. and I understand. Not everyone wants to write the Bat Family. That's fine. But we don't have the Bat Family appearing anywhere else. It's very basic. It's The writing is is fine, but it's not particularly... It is not exceptional. So I am biased against that book for that reason. That being said, I do think Steven Segovia's art was really good. Mm-hmm. I will agree in the fact that every once in a while, it's nice to get something that is, you know, not earth shattering per se, or, you know, as Steph put it heavy, but see, the thing is, I understand that it's okay to have stories like that, but there's, if you look at Brian Hill's story, quite honestly, other than it's setting up Batman, and the outsiders, it is a simple story. 
Um, I mean, it's setting up Batman and the Outsiders, um, but it also does a really good job of incorporating other characters. You went from Detective mm-hmm. Comics being about this group of characters that is, you know, part of the Bat family to not as many because obviously Steph and Tim weren't around, but it focused on other characters. Black Lightning was featured. Katana was featured. Obviously Cassandra and Duke were there the entire time. Barbara was even featured. The thing is like you go from having as many characters as you did during Titans run to having a little bit less characters during Hills run. And then we have, well, he's back on his own. And the thing is like this, okay, I understand that Detective Comics is a Batman title. It's not a Bat Family title. As much as I disagree with that idea, because I want Detective Comics to be the Bat Family title and to have Batman interacting with all the other members of the Bat Family, that's the type of book that I want. That's why I appreciated James Tynion's run so well, because it's not just the typical Batman story. You've got a typical Batman story being told in Batman Every two weeks, you don't really need to have another generic, not generic, but just a Batman story. You don't have to have a standalone Batman story where he just interacts with Alfred. We already see that in Batman enough as it is. So the thing is, like, I would have appreciated if there was at least more of acknowledgement of, yes, the wedding did mess him up. And yes, he was not really talking to anybody. But we did just have a story where he was working with other people that were part of the Bat family. So you're kind of ignoring those aspects of the story and Hill did a really good job of like carrying on what Tynion was doing where Robinson just feels like I'm telling a Batman story and I'm making sure that it takes place by telling you that well the wedding didn't happen but I'm not actually caring about anything that came in this title prior to me and that's what bugs me about it it's simple and I would be okay with simple but it's it's ignoring the major stories and the major events that have happened in Detective Comics, which in most cases doesn't get talked about in the other titles. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom King's stuff relates to Tom King's stuff. You know, occasionally, like we're going to see with this Nightwing situation, stuff will bleed over or you had Catwoman kind of spin out of the events of Batman. But like for the most part, the stuff is self-contained and it's designed to be like that so that you know, you you as the reader are not forced to buy everything, even though, let's be honest, the 90s, in my opinion, were a great time because everything was connected. I know that there's a vast majority of people who do not agree with that statement. I prefer if everything is connected. I like storylines where, you know, you get eight books in one month and they're all connected and you read them in order. That's the way I like comics. Um, but this, it just feels like, yeah, it happened in the same, in the same time and place, but it's just... I don't know. It it just bugs me when people ignore the stuff that's happened before them. So, and and there's a certain degree, like, here's the thing. I'm not saying that James Robinson had to write this story, knowing exactly what happened at the end of Brian Hill's story, but he's not even relating to the James Tynion stuff, which ended back in May. And that's what, that's what bugs me about it. So, you know, addressing something that's happening in the best selling book is just like, well, I do know what's going on in the top-selling DC title on normal month, so there's that, but yeah. So the other thing I want to talk about is the introduction of Lady Firefly. So if you are one of the poor, unfortunate souls like myself who still watches Gotham. (laughs) The blessed and fortunate and have a good time. Yeah, no. People. (laughs) Um, If you're one of the few people who still watch Gotham, and I say few because I know the numbers are significantly lower than they used to be because 
like Season I said, five renewed on a prayer. <laughs> yeah, renewed on a prayer is absolutely right, and it's coming back with a shorter, condensed season and it's not even coming back until mid-season but anyway that all being said if you have watched gotham in the past you might have noticed that there was a character who was called firefly not lady firefly but called firefly but it was a girl by the name of bridget pike and she has been firefly on the show now there's no confirmation that this specific character is bridget pike the same Bridget Pike that designed Gotham. This one is just called Lady Firefly, which introduces this character. This is another reason the story kind of bugged me. I don't have a problem with introducing new characters. Plenty of writers do it. You know, I honestly believe that if a story warrants a new character, fine. There's a pre-existing character that already exists. Use the pre-existing character. Um, Obviously, I'll complain about the same thing when it comes to Phantom Pharaoh. Um, but that I don't, that Tom King has said that, you know, obviously that's not his fault. He didn't choose to use that. He wanted to use King Tut, but it's one of those things where it's like, if you have the ability to, to use a character that already exists to fill a purpose or to serve a purpose for your plot, do it. Don't bother creating new characters during the new 52. There was such this onslaught of new characters constantly using these new characters in the other peripheral Batman books that wasn't Batman specific, that it just got really annoying that it was like, hmm, why do you keep creating so many new characters? Like, there's already an extensive amount of characters out there. The they thing with Lady- new characters because they get money for them. And I know that's 100% yes, I know. And true. Yes, and we've talked about that. You know, if you create a character, but the thing is, Robinson's not getting any money for Lady Firefly here, especially since, in some ways, I would assume the late the the female version of Firefly, the credit would go to the person who created her on the show. That's what I would assume, but I don't know. Maybe this is a way of bringing the character, a, le- a female version into the comics. And maybe the, the character's name will end up being something different, but honestly, I don't think it matters because it because Batman takes them down by the end of the issue and they're done. So what, what really was the reason that they needed to introduce this character other than we want a female version of Firefly existing in the comic universe so that we could potentially use it in the future. I don't know. Like it doesn't make any sense as to why that character had to exist. I'm not opposed to the explanation, you know, it, Firefly being the mentor to Lady Firefly and Lady Firefly being the protege, that explanation, fine, it works. There's nothing wrong with that explanation. The fact that she's a female, nothing to do with it. It just is a matter of what was the necessity to have this other character? Like, you're telling me that Firefly couldn't have been torching the thing. He really needed to have somebody distract him. Like if he set everything on fire in the first place, he could have battled Batman himself, or he could have just used any other villain that was out there. Like Lady Firefly did not need to be the character that needed to be used, but whatever. So thoughts on Lady Firefly. Well, when I read her name, I literally almost died laughing. Cause I was like, Dustin's going to have so much to say about this. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, didn't they do that a lot? Especially when the um, I mean, I don't know for sure, but but whenever a new movie or whatever comes out, they try to connect the comics to the movie because already, I mean, obviously the movies already connect to the comics because they're based on the comics. But then they try to get they, the new. Yes, they've tried to bring but, in new characters, and they've done this with like Arrow, like Felicity, Smoke, and John Diggle were never characters until the show created them. Mm-hmm. 
and then that stuff bled into the comics. But part of that had to do with the fact that the Green Arrow comics at the time were not very good, and they were trying to figure out ways of like making the Green Arrow stuff better. So they figured, well, let's bring in these characters that are from this show that is successful, and then hopefully the viewers of the show will then migrate and read the comics. That's why they did it. Um, and nothing against it, like those characters popping up. John Diggle, I think, is actually a, a plus addition to it. Uh, Felicity did not survive Rebirth, as far as I know. I haven't seen her pop up anywhere, so I don't think she survived. But John Diggle has popped up multiple times. So it's one of those things where it's like, there's nothing wrong with them trying to connect it. I know that they've done the same exact thing with other CW shows that have you know aired, where they bring in characters that they're focusing on or they have like new versions of characters and they will try to incorporate them into the comics. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just a matter of, is it necessary at the time? The green arrow stuff, it was completely necessary because the normal stuff was just not very good. <laughs> well then going along the lines of if she is in fact, Bridget from the show, Bridget is pretty or was pretty good friends with Selena. So maybe that's the reason, especially mm. since you brought up the fact that they had, you know, that, that he's sad and yeah, I hope because they of really her. don't go down that route. But. <laughs> I know, me too. <laughs> but well, here's, just his theories go. Here's the thing about Lady Firefly, from my reading. There's already going to be tons and tons of villains in this arc, however long it is. Because it's going to, what, 996? Isn't that when Tomasi's coming on? I think he's coming on 9-5. Okay, so this is going to be a six-issue arc. And there's going to be Two-Face. I think they mentioned Penguin. We know there's going to be Cobra. I don't think Lady Firefly is coming back. So I think this was literally a one-off. Um, I don't know. Maybe James Robinson thought that the the normal or main continuity Firefly would be too big a challenge for Bruce to take down easily. I don't know why. It's not like Firefly is really that big a threat. I think Firefly in All-Star Batman was taken down pretty easily. <laughs> uh, Isn't that why he has, he has flamethrowers? He's not that much of a fighter, right? Yeah. Right. So I think this was throwaway and I think it was it was cheap, as I have said. I am biased against James Robinson. I think that he's not a great writer. I also forgot that I moaned and groaned seeing Cobra at the end because I was so happy with Don being done with the Cobra storyline in or was it In Conquest. Yeah, I was like, ugh, I'm done. Oh, I like the Cobra storyline. I thought it was fun. I didn't mind the Cobra story, but I feel like it's not necessary to be bringing it back. No, I think I was thinking of Suicide Squad because it was horrible in Suicide Squad. Oh, oh yeah, that was yeah. in Suicide Squad too. Yeah. yeah, where they rescued Deadshot's daughter, daughter from yeah. Cobra, right? And yeah. Batman was unnecessarily there. <laughs> um, I mean, trying to raise sales. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> work for Dead Deathstroke. Why not work for Suicide Squad? Mm. All right, so this issue to Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of five. I'll give it, I don't know, three out of five. The art was okay and pretty good. Well, pretty good. The art was really good compared to Batman, especially. (laughs) I'm going to give this a two for writing, a three for art. So that would be a two and a half out of five. All right, and over on the site, Tony gave it two and a half. So it's going to give Detective Comics number 988 a total of two and a half out of five. Bad ranks. That is all of our in depth reviews. Let's jump over to the site for Greater Gotham. (laughs) 
Starting off with September 5th, we have Main TV Books. We already talked about Batman number 54. Nightwing number 48, the greatest motorcycle race in the cosmos is underway, and an assassin appears to try and silence Nightwing permanently. So you buy a dull, he give it four and four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Is WTF a valid rating? No. Okay. Yeah. Thumbs down for me. <laughs> yeah. It's a thumbs down. Percy, Percy, I don't know what Percy was doing with this arc. It, thumbs down. Oh, gosh. It's not my cup of tea. Harley Quinn number 49. Harley Quinn continues her plan to save the Coney Island freak show by killing Lord Deathman. This is by Jerry. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. This was hilarious. Amazing. It was great. (laughs) No secondary TV books. Main DC Universe books. Deathstroke number 35 and the explosive conclusion of Deathstroke vs. Batman. All the deeds of the past come home to roost. This is by Ian. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. I don't know. What am I going to give it? I'm guessing a thumbs up. (laughs) Uh, It's like four thumbs up. This, This was awesome. I'm so excited about this series. Adventures of the Super Sons, number two. Two sides of John's personality are shown that have never been seen before. This is by Tony. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Abstain. Justice League, number seven. The Justice League save the world and gain a new power, but come away with more questions than answers. This is by Corbin. He gave it three out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Uh, Abstain. I finally gave up. Thumbs way down. They said, Batman said, we just as hard. That's terrible. What is Snyder doing? Having oh. too much fun. That's what he's doing. Thumbs down. Secondary DC Universe books. Uh, the Unexpected number four, Huntress and Signal, both appear in the issue, as well as a Bat Cove headquarters, which I was unaware of what this was, but it turns out Batman has an underwater base in Gotham Harbor called the Bat Cove. Was unaware of that up until this issue. Moving on to September 12th, main TBU books, Detective Comics number 98, we already talked about. Red Hood and the Outlaws number 26. After leaving behind a considerable body count, Jason begins his first solo mission to take down a gang connected to the Underlife Crime Organization. This is by Bill. He gave it two and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Undecided. I really enjoyed it. I mean, maybe it's because I'm not a... It's not that I dislike Jason, but I'm not like a Jason fan. So this felt really interesting and it was, it was very brutal. I'm a big fan of Pete Wood's art. He's the new artist on the book. So I'm excited about this new, this new arc, new direction. I'm definitely recommend. I'm hesitant about the direction, which is why I get to neutral until I figure out where it's going. Oh, that's totally fair. I mean, it couldn't (laughs) turn into another bizarro and last forever. (laughs) Yeah. And like I said earlier, if you want to hear more about Red Hood and the Outlaws number 26, that is our TBU Extra, the first one for the month. So if you support us on Patreon at the $10 level or higher, you will get our review of, our full review of that issue. All right, Catwoman number three. The Creole family tries to control Selena while she is in Villa Hermosa, but cats don't like to get leashed. We learn about the background of the governor's wife and see what she is prepared to do for success. This is by Jerry. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Yeah, thumbs up. She was thumbs down. No secondary TBU books. Main DC Universe books. Titans number 25. The team splits into three groups to deal with three new threats. This is by Paul. He gave it two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. Thumbs up. I haven't laughed that hard. <laughs> was it not supposed to be funny? In that case, it might be thumbs down. We're talking about Titans, right? 
Yes, yeah. Yes, it, I'm sure was there hilarious. was parts that were funny to some people. <laughs> Suicide Squad, number 46. Beneath the waves, one team member makes a grab for power. One team leader tries to stop Armageddon. And on the surface, Amanda Waller tries to sort the true players from the political sneaks. So you buy Bob. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Mm, neutral. Thumbs up. I thought it was fun. Secondary DC Universe books. The Immortal Men, number six. Batman makes a brief appearance alongside the Justice League. Plastic Man, number four, Catman, and Hugo Strange both appear in the issue. Sideways, number eight, Batman and several Dark Knights make a brief cameo in the issue. And Superman, number three, Batman makes a brief appearance in the issue, although he is throwing up in a toilet. If you ever thought you wanted to see that. Uh, All right, so in the past two weeks, there are a ton of TV trades and hardcovers released because, hey, Batman Day happened. It, it happened, so it's the annual excuse for DC to roll out a ton of trades, and there's a bunch of them. So, running down the list, there is Batman Preludes to the Wedding trade paperback, Batman Bye. Catwoman. We're not going to comment. We are just going to keep going with these. <laughs> Batman Catwoman, the Wedding Album, the Deluxe Edition hardcover, Batman Detective Comics Volume 7, Batman Eternal trade paperback, Batman by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Omnibus hardcover, Batman by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo, box set number three, Batman The Court of Owls Saga, the Essential Edition trade paperback, Batman Prelude to Nightfall trade paperback, Dark Knight 3, The Master Race trade paperback, All-Star Batman Volume 3, the first Allied trade paperback, Nightwing Volume 6, the Untouchable trade paperback, Absolute Batman The Killing Joke hardcover, Batman Nightfall Volume 1, the 25th Anniversary Edition trade paperback, Batman The Arkham Saga Omnibus hardcover, and Justice League Volume 7, Justice Lost trade paperback. That is all the books that have released in the past two weeks. There's obviously way more trades and hardcovers than there normally is, but if we gave a thumbs up, thumbs down on our neutral rating, we have detailed reviews, including synopses and analysis over on the site for you guys to take a look at. Outside of that, Greater Gotham, like I said earlier, we do have a new character spotlight focusing on KG Beast. The first part of that one by Colin is out now, and check that out. The second part will be releasing in the coming weeks. The other one we did is we brought back TBU Collected. Now, if you are a longtime listener, you will probably remember that years ago, TBU had a short-lived group of episodes, part of the Batman Universe specials. We took an entire story and reviewed it the entire story rather than issue by issue like we typically do here on the comic cast. And it it was fairly successful. I mean, like we had like four episodes and they were, they were spaced out. Ultimately it just came down to, we didn't have time to sit down and review as many titles as we wanted. And bat books for beginners kind of already does that with stuff in chronological order. So we've decided to bring back TV collected, but this time it is in a new format. So this time around we're covering Batman, the court of owls. This it's not a, it's not a, podcast it is a review on the site so if you've never read batman in the court of owls one of our uh, one of our newest uh, staff members richard he did that review he's also planning on doing batman hush later this month his reviews are going to correspond with releases that are coming out from dc so like if we post a review for tbu collected chances are that week or the following week you're going to be able to see that book available to purchase so Take a look at that if you have not. Uh, Court of Owls is one of Scott Snyder's well, most well-known stories and most critically acclaimed. I s- still feel like Black Mirror is probably my favorite. Um, oh, like, it's way better. Like a, lot, like a lot of people. But Court of Owls is definitely one of the ones that put him on the map. So take a look at that. 
All right. So before we jump into listener Q and A's, real quick, I want to thank our our supporters on Patreon. You are currently supporting us on Patreon. We greatly appreciate your support. We are slowly creeping up towards bringing back the normal cast, which I I know some of the comic cast listeners will appreciate us bringing back the normal cast. Others will be like, well, we just want you to focus on the comics because let's be honest, that's what our site does is we focus on a lot on the comics. Not that we don't post news related to the other stuff, but there are definitely more people out there who relate to some of those other areas like movies and television and video games and you know that kind of stuff outside of the comics. So real quick, thank you to Captain DC, Ian, Robert, Anthony, Brian, Jay Dunn, Real No Deuces, and Donald. Thank you all for supporting us on Patreon as well as all of our other supporters at the lower tiers. Every single month, if you are a Patreon supporter, there's all kinds of special things that you can get besides the TBU Extra, which I've plugged twice already. There's also TBU Raw, which is short form me and Ed ranting about a variety of topics. Most of the time, well, every time up uh, at, at this point has been related to Batman. And there's also exclusive quarterly prize packages, uh, drawings. The first prize package went out for September, but there's other prize packages. We have a pretty big prize package at this point. The value is up to about $150 that will be for the next one. So if you sign up now, you'll start having entries for that. Also, you can get a free t-shirt at certain levels or free merchandise at other levels, depending on how long you support at the specific levels. So definitely take a look. Patreon.com slash the Batman universe. There's also a link over on the site if you want to take a look at that. And of course, if you have no desire to support us on Patreon, but you do want to support us in a different way by volunteering skills, we're always looking for more comic book reviewers. There's a couple of books that I would like to review that we're currently not reviewing that if you are interested in reviewing comics, get in touch with us at tbu at thebatmanverse.net. Or if you have any other skills like video editing, audio editing, graphic design, websites, design, things like that. Those are all skills that we're always looking for. So with that, we appreciate everyone who is currently supporting us as well as all of our staff members who volunteer their time every single month. So thank you. All right. So with that, we're going to jump into our listener Q and A's. We have one specific listener Q&A, and it comes from a uh, Stefana Mons from Russia. <laughs> yeah, yes, because this definitely isn't uh, me. So, uh, number one, crack theory. Recently, Barbara's waking, walking chip. I'll stop. Walking yeah. chip has been acting <laughs> up and failed temporarily and she couldn't walk for a bit. Do you think it's possible in an upcoming issues that the chip will fail completely? She will return to being Oracle and Stephanie or Cass will take her place as Batgirl. And that's why we have the outfit and creator changes and the concept art with the redheaded headed Batgirl are just a red herring. Well, that is not a bad idea. I didn't really think about uh, the concept art being a red herring, but here's the thing. Um, do I think that she's eventually going to be playing the role of Oracle? Yes, most definitely. Margaret Scott has actually said that she would love to get her to be Oracle again, but the she has to get, you know, the story has to be right for her to get it. She wants it to become like a, an actual event and not just a 
spur of the moment, here's your we're just gonna thrust her back into this, kind of like what we're about to get with Nightwing being randomly shot in the head. Um, so I'm completely okay with that. Um, you know, holding off and, and doing it at a point that actually makes sense. And honestly, building up to something like that, where like we see it it failing and then it is is not working temporarily, but then she's able to go back to it, like seeing it fail multiple times. That would be interesting. I also feel like just addressing the chip in general, unlike the entire New 52, where there was basically one page that they, and I know I, I complain about the same stuff all the time. I know people, I know, I know. Um, but, you know, actually talking about the chip and explaining the, the aspects of it and not just setting up in, in a one page mention in a book that ends up leading to a character on a television show having the exact same thing happen to them. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah, they have been dropping hints and they have been, you know, kind of setting that up as a potential. Um, I, I will say that I cannot see cast taking over because I feel no. like what the way they've established orphan at this point, along with the fact that she's gonna be part of Batman and the outsiders, that's not possible. Steph, or it could have been possible. I'll say this. It could have been possible up until, she, you know, was kind of like grouped into the outsider mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, There's yeah. just no way it will happen now. But like the the James Tynion, like the ending, the way he ended his story, it was entirely possible. Barb was like taking her mm-hmm. under his her wing mm-hmm. and was going to like help mentor her and stuff. We haven't really seen that happen anywhere. So everybody kind of was, or well, I mean, it did happen in Brian Hill's like initial, like they, you know, Steph and Barbara mm-hmm. were not Steph, okay. Cassandra and Barbara were linked, but it was not something that like carried through because Barbara was kind of like, she's, she was out of the team by the end of it. So mm-hmm. is it, is it possible? Yes. I don't see Cass being it. Steph probably has the more likely choice, but quite honestly, I'll say this, and this is going to be a really crazy theory out there, but if she does, I could honestly see someone that's not Steph or Cass Becoming Batgirl. Oh, people would be mad. I know you, they would. You have <laughs> a candidate that you think is going to be likely? Oh, no. No, I don't think it even exists out there. I don't think it, it's not like it's going to be Bluebird. That would never <laughs> happen. Um, no, no, but I, honestly, no. like, I don't think there is anybody out there right now. Like, I'm just looking at it from the perspective of, like, how the character has been written up to this point. You know, Steph feels like there's a direction that they're going to go whenever they're going to get around to it with Tim three years because DZ hates me personally. Yeah. <laughs> the casting clearly she has a direction and I don't see them deviating from what, you know, the direction that they're going with her. Well, I like the direction. I think Brian Hill is a great writer for her. No, no, I'm just, I agree. I completely agree with that. I'm just saying, I don't see them deviating from her being part of yeah. that team in order to be back. Girl. It just doesn't make any yeah. sense. Um, and then Bluebird is just not an option because she, the way Tynan ended her basic basic run as a vigilante was a perfect way of doing it, quite honestly. Like her saying, or at the end of uh, Batman Robin Eternal, her saying, you know, I don't really want to be a vigilante right now. And then playing up the idea that she wants to help people, but just not be a vigilante in the pages of detective comics. It works perfectly. It doesn't make any sense for her to be Batgirl. So like if, if someone does become Batgirl, I don't see it being any of the the candidates you would, you would assume at this point. Or who would make sense. Let's, let's be honest here. Um, I think you might be right. I, here's my perspective on Batgirl. Batgirl sales are in the toilet. They suck. And it's been shown for a long time that changing creative teams, even 
unless they put Scott Snyder on this title, I don't think we're seeing the kind of sales boost that we need to have this particular iteration of the title around for longer than another, I'd say a year. Um, so I think we're going to get Migrant Scott for a year, and then I think they're going to relaunch it as number one. Mm-hmm. I think Dustin's theory, unfortunately, makes a lot of sense. As much as I hate to have another Batgirl to make everyone who's who loves Pat Cass and Steph and Babs miserable again, because we don't make each other miserable enough as it is. I think that makes sense. It would fit with the boneheadedness of DC editorial in general. But they're going to have to do something, because yeah. this direction... Okay, I'm going to... I like this direction change that they're doing so far. I think that Megra Scott has a good voice for Babs. I like the story she's telling so far in the two issues plus the annual that we've gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the art. So I think this deserves to go longer than a year. I just don't think that the sales are going to justify that. Cause I just, mm-hmm. I've never seen a title rebound unless, you know, like in Deathstroke where Batman guest stars. And I don't think Batman guest starring and Batgirl is really going to make it yeah. that much bigger. So we're going to see a relaunch in a year is my prediction. And if DC editorial continues to be stupid, it will be a completely new character that will not be anyone, anyone knows or cares about. And then number two, possible monkey watch idea. When you read Batman in the comics, whose voice do you hear? We don't have to make this a monkey watch. We can just answer this question. Oh, okay. Because I don't think this, I don't think this is a super complicated discussion here. I'll like, so here's the thing I would it, it, like thinking in my brain, whose voice do I hear? If anyone, most of the time I would hear Kevin Conroy um, mm-hmm. because that's just who I always associate with Batman. But like it, I guess it depends because there's certain versions of Batman. Like if I'm reading, this is going to sound stupid, but if I'm reading like a, any child, like a all ages property that has Batman in it, I always always hear Diedrich Bader. Like, so if Batman pops up in like Teen Titans Go, I hear Diedrich Bader. If I see Batman pop up in, you know, a Scooby-Doo team up issue, I hear Diedrich Bader. If Batman pops up in like Tiny Titans, um, which not pop up because those, that series has ran its course. But like, if I'm reading it with my son and I, and I'm reading it, that's who I hear in my head. Uh, for most normal issues, I hear Kevin Conroy, but in other cases, like there are certain times where like I read it and I just hear a grisly voice, but I don't actually associate with anybody. Okay. I, I was thinking about it. I realized that when I'm reading Batman, I hear Kevin Conroy, but when I'm reading, de- no, no, when I'm reading detective comics, I hear Kevin Conroy. When I'm reading Batman, I hear Bruce Greenwood for some reason, which is weird because he was my least favorite yeah, but I think I think I watched um, Gotham by Gaslight too much, and now he's the only voice I hear in my head. I did not grow up with any Batman cartoons or movies. I didn't see um, any of the movies that I can think of until Batman Begins in two thousand five, when I was in college. So for me, it's all about syntax and vocabulary, mm-hmm. and. Um, so the Batman, to me, who I, I like to read, would be Chuck Dixon in terms of syntax, vocabulary, and just tone. Uh, this question is really good. Made me think of an interview I've been posting on the Discord where this little girl asked a bunch of Batman writers whose voice they hear. And, you know, people said, 
uh, Kevin Conroy and, mm -hmm. and so forth. But something that was very insightful and also very frustrating to me was Scott Snyder's answer, which was he doesn't hear anyone because he deliberately tries to write like no one else. And I think number one, that makes perfect sense because his voice doesn't sound like anyone, <laughs> any other Batman. And number two, it makes sense because I hate his Batman voice so much. <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting answer, though. That the that you associate them more with the writers. I don't know. Well, like, it's because I didn't watch anything, so Batman yeah. is a written guy to me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I I love Christian Bale, but I don't hear his voice. Oh gosh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Selena, will you marry me? <laughs> gosh, gosh. <laughs> All right. So that is our only listener comment. So thank you to Stefano Mounds <laughs> who uh, sent in that comment. If you have comments you would like us to read or questions you'd like us to answer. Um, in a Russian voice. Yes. <laughs> if you'd like us to read those on the next episode, be sure to head over to the website and leave your comments. I know that uh, some of our Patreon supporters who are listening to the episode early, I encourage you to leave your comments on the Discord and we'll start trying to port some of those comments over. That way you can leave your comments right away since the episode's not posted in the comment section. It's not open right away. That way you can leave your comments. If you're listening to this on the normal release date or you're listening to this on YouTube or anywhere else that we post it, if you leave comments on Facebook or Twitter or on YouTube as long as we're tagged in the comment or it's attached to the post, we will be sure to port those over. Obviously, the more comments, the more discussion points we have. So before we wrap up the episode, like I said, Monkey Watch is back. <laughs> this episode is not going to be a super long Monkey Watch, mostly because I didn't have a whole lot of really great ideas, but I did have one that was prompted to, to me by something that was being discussed in the discord um, over the past two weeks, which is what other books do you like reading that are DC? So the idea behind this is for no us to yeah, no Marvel. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to get in there, but basically anything that DC comics publishes, is there anything else that you are currently reading that you're really enjoying that we don't normally cover on the site? Now it could in just to be fair, because I know Generally speaking, I don't read a lot of stuff that's not covered on the site because there is so much stuff that mm -hmm. needs covered on the site. So to make this fair, if there is something that's just not one of the main Batman books, like a Batman title or a Bat Family title, and it's one of the DC Universe books that you're really enjoying, feel free to use that as one of your choices. But the the idea is just like, here's a suggestion that you might not expect that is coming out that you are reading that you could suggest to somebody who's listening. That is something else that DC is currently publishing. What's the one with Talia, but it's not about the Talia. silencer silencer. I started the silencer and I was enjoying it, but I, I stopped just because there was so much other bad stuff to read, but I did enjoy the silencer for a little bit. The silencer is actually one of the issues that I was hinting at that I want to review over on the site <laughs> that we are currently not just because it ties so directly with Talia and the League of Assassins. So there's that. If you're interested and you're reading The Silencer, that's an option. But at least the issue that I read of that, it almost had nothing to do. Like Talia yeah. creates the setting for it, but the story was about like, at least the one I read was, was a, like a, a 
former assassin who had remarried or had married and had kids and was happy and and like how that assassin life kept pulling her in. I thought that was a very very interesting story. Yeah. Silencer is one of the few DC New Age heroes uh, series that I think, even if it gets canceled, it's one of the few characters I feel like, at least the one out of the ones I've read. I I haven't read them all, and some of them are way out there that I would never. I would never even associate myself to read just because it's not something I would typically pick up. But the silencer is one of them where I could legitimately see it taking off and like the character appearing in other places because it's an interesting character. And that's why I think it works. It's kind of funny because I was going to say silencer um, because I, I have been collecting it since the first issue. It's um, it's a really good series. It's got, really strong art first by John Romita Jr. And then by Victor Bogdanovich and now by Patrick Zircher and the world building of this league of assassins spinoff Leviathan, which is directly lifted from uh, Batman incorporated Grant Morrison's run. Um, it's just really intelligent and fun and it's great action every issue. So, and she is showing up in Nightwing. She like showed up at the very end of Nightwing number 48. And she's going to be, I think, I hope bigger in Nightwing 49. But since you guys already talked about Silencer, I just say, yes, that's a great book. I'm reading it, but I'm going to go with my fallback of Deathstroke. Everyone should be reading Deathstroke. I I knew you were going to say that. I I know. I I literally, as I sent you the message about, here's what we're doing for Monkey Watch, I thought, there's no way he doesn't suggest that. Well, I mean, so here's the thing. wrong with that. When I started Rebirth, I was really excited because I'd been reviewing Batman and Robin Eternal, and I thought... This, this world feels like it needs a shakeup. So we got the shakeup in Rebirth, and I looked at all the titles that were coming out, and the artist on Destro, Carlo Pagulian from the Philippines, was a really great artist, and I was very interested in that, but I never really read a Destro title before that. So I started reading it, and I was like, wow, this is so cynical. It's such a dark book about this assassin and his really screwed-up family. <laughs> and so I, I would come in and out, but then... He, he developed this team of, like, dark teen titans, including, you know, Wally West, the, the Black Wally West, and Power Girl, Tanya Spears, and Jericho, his son and his daughter, Ravager, uh, and, and Tara, for, for old teen titans, or just Titans fans. Tara is a big part of that. And it was just so exciting. So I went back and read all of it up to that point, and it's this amazingly plotted story of things coming in and out and the consequences of this man who murders for money. And Christopher Priest, who writes it, has always said, Deathstroke is a villain. He's not an anti-hero. He's not heroic. He's not good. He is a bad person. And I love how he can write him as a bad person, but we understand why he's a bad person and we sympathize, although we don't, I don't think we ever think that he is a good person or what he does is good. So it's a really just well-written series. And I I would recommend, I mean, I've been doing reviews for it for the last six months and I'm going to keep going while we're in Arkham. It is great. Pick it up now. Next month is a great time to start because we're starting a new arc, new, and I'm sure they'll catch us up with what happened before, but it is great. Everyone should check it out. I really like like the layout of it and, and the storytelling format. It's almost like a, a quirky, fast edit TV show. Oh like yeah, it really. Yeah. It hops around, and you ha- it's, it's it's cleverly written. It like, makes I you have to struggle. <laughs> yeah, you really have to think when you're reading. Yeah, I like it a lot. I like being challenged like that. It's really good. As so, for a book, I'm actually reading though. Mister <laughs> Miracle is my choice. Oh, good one, good one. Yeah. So my suggestion, 
is one that would probably not be that much of a surprise to some, which is Justly Dark. So here's the thing. I don't like, I generally do not like reading the magical stuff, the magical elements, mostly because, I don't know, to me, it just feels like a lot of that stuff is like, you can just make what make up whatever you want and it just works because, well, it's magic. So of course it works. And I've always had a problem with that like idea of like magic and how it's easy scapegoat for a lot of stuff. And magic is not the only one. I know there's plenty of other things out there that do the exact same thing, but magic has always been something that I just have never been interested. I never really cared. I mean, like the closest character that I was even remotely interested in was Satana, but that had really nothing to do with the fact that she was a magician, more of the fact that I always thought her connection to Batman was interesting because her mm-hmm. father helped train Batman or mm-hmm. Bruce, which I found really interesting. I really wish it was more, you know, that, that aspect of their relationship was dived into more and it has been dived into. It's not that it hasn't. It's just, I, I, I think that that is something that would be really cool. And I've always said, and I've said this for years and years and years, I really would like to learn more about the time where Batman went and trained. We've seen bits and pieces here and there. Like Henry Ducard was featured in a, in a Batman Robin story a few years back. But like, I, I think that there's a lot of potential to like explore that. But the only time it would make sense to publish something like that would be in a time where you've got some big thing like super heavy going on where super heavy is happening. And then detective comics, instead of telling a story of Bruce Wayne is this guy who doesn't remember anything. You tell the story of Bruce Wayne when, you know, in the past or something like that. Mm-hmm. Why don't they but anyway, do Batman before year one? Wouldn't that be a great miniseries? Yes. Yes. Like not zero year either. Like I want uh, to see, no, not zero. I, I want to see Batman like out, like not Batman, not as Batman. I want to see like Bruce Wayne, like Bruce Wayne year one. Hmm. Where like he, you like, know, I, you learn the history of how he went from this kid whose parents died to becoming, you know, getting to the point of Batman Year One. That's what I want to see. Like that would be a really cool story. And I've said this before. Like that would also be a really cool series to do as like, uh, you know, a mini series or a limited series on television as well. Not like Gotham because that's not the same <laughs> thing. But like. Like something where like you can progress and maybe you have like one or two seasons. It's not intended to be like a long 10 season series like Gotham wanted to be. It's intended to be like we're going to skip and then the next season like it could be completely different anthology where you've got a different actor as Bruce Wayne Mm -hmm. because he's grown up even more. You know, something like that. Like I would love to see that. We're not going to because Gotham was meant to be that and it did not end up becoming that. But anyway, getting back to my suggestion, which is just the dark. Obviously, the other reason, the most obvious reason is that Detective Chimp is in it. And I love that character. But <laughs> other than Detective Chimp, the thing is, the the reason I really appreciate Justice Dark outside of the fact that James Tiny is on the book. And I, I've, I've really enjoyed everything that he's done since he's been since he was working on Batman Eternal as Scott Snyder's basically writer with Snyder getting the majority of the credit for that series. Tynion was like the workhorse on Batman Eternal and Batman Robin Eternal. And then he really got his chance to shine when it came to Detective Comics. But Justly Dark is is very similar to Detective Comics in the sense that like he's featuring a group of characters. He's giving each character their moment to shine. We're only a couple issues in, but it's really good. And and the reason why I f- find it really good is because I don't typically care about the magic stuff, 
but he is writing it in a way where I actually care about it and want to learn more. And that's why I think it's important. Like if you can take a series that somebody would typically not read and make it so that it's accessible to people who would typically not be in, you know, not care about something like that. That is what makes a good writer. And that's what this series is. Like I could care less about magic stuff, about the majority of the characters that are being featured in the series, but the way he's writing it and the way he's, you know, doing the characterizations for the, for the story, it's really good and it's worth the read. So if you're not reading it because you're like, eh, I don't care about the magic, give it a shot because it's, it's definitely a good read. It, can Landstrom change on demand or does he still need his serum? Cause it, I didn't see that. Like he, in some scenes he, he was man bat and some scenes he's just a dude. I didn't see. I don't think it's been explicitly explained if okay. he needs it or not. I feel like they did mention that he needed it to change back at least. Yeah, to change back, but but I and don't know. Change into the bat. Or change into a human again. Yeah. Okay. okay. But I, it would make sense that he would also need it to change to it too. He needs a serum to get it out. It's not like it's like. If it was explained that way, it would be like he turns into a werewolf, but the only way he can turn back is by taking the serum. Yeah, that's true. But anyway, long story short, Just League Dark, check it out. So that is our monkey watch for this episode. If you have a suggestion for a monkey watch topic that you'd like us to do, suggest away. You can leave your comments over on the site or any of the other places I mentioned earlier. So with that, that is everything for this episode. I encourage you to check out everything we have to offer over on the site. We have news related to movies, TV, merchandise, video games, and of course the comics. Also be sure to check out all the other podcasts. There's new episodes of Backworld Oracle, which is featuring the second part of Batman No Man's Land. There's also new Bat Books for Beginners, Bat Fans, uh, Robin Everyone Loves a Drake. Be sure to check out all those podcasts. There's all kinds of new content that's coming out almost every single week. So be sure to check that stuff out. Also, be sure to join our Discord, because if you join, you can have conversations with all of the staff, or a good chunk of the staff on a normal basis. I mean, legitimately, there are points where I'm on my computer during the day, and it just keeps beeping at me and beeping at me, because there's just constant things being chatted about. So, if you're looking for a place to chat about that stuff, join our Discord. It is a There's a link in the sidebar over on the site for you guys to join it. You click on that, and it'll take you directly to it. It doesn't take very much to sign up. You just basically give your email address, make a name, and then you have to verify your email and to get in. That's it. So it's not like it's super complicated. In addition to that, leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are just greatly appreciated. And then follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all these news and videos from the Batman universe. With that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Steph. This is Ian. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>